Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Janet and Gray. Enjoy. Hi, church. So good to be with you. Thank you, those who are joining us from online. It's good to be with you. I'm glad, so glad we can connect. For those of you who maybe haven't been tracking with us, we are in a series. We've been in a series called The House of the Lord, and it's about our relationship with God, right? And so we started where our relationship with God started. We started in the garden. And there, uh, we see that God's um, whole plan for humanity, it's always been his purpose to have intimate relationship with human beings. He created us for that. And in the garden, that's what we had. There were no barriers to intimacy. We were fully known. God was present. Um, Adam and Eve didn't have to strive with each other. There were no barriers to intimacy. However, that didn't last long enough because they then chose to reject God's definition of what is good and what is wise and the way to live. And they chose their own definition of good. And they chose their own wisdom. And as a result, they had to leave the garden, right? And that intimate relationship with God was lost. But the good news is God did not abandon us. It's still his purpose. And you see over all of scripture and over all of that time, you see this continued pursuit of God toward human beings to restore intimate relationship with him. So where we began in the garden and then uh, Pastor Kenny brought a great uh, message on the altars where Humans would encounter God, and they would recognize his presence, and they would build an altar there to say, oh, I need to remember this, and they would even name it, like, this is how I experienced God in this place, and that was the altars, and then Pastor Brent brought us um, that message on, as, as the children of Israel then moved, then the presence of God moved with them in the tabernacle, and so there was this tent where the presence of God would reside, And eventually, they built a permanent residence for the presence of God called the temple. But you know, in that beautiful big temple, there were only a few elite people who could go and minister. And the presence of God was only there, right? After Jesus' death and resurrection, that temple was destroyed. And and Jesus, by his death and resurrection, um, he enabled the Holy Spirit then to be sent to us. And so now we have that even more restored intimacy as we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God resides in us, right? So this progressive intimacy, and of course in eternity, we see at the end of the book, we see that full restoration when God brings his kingdom back and establishes his kingdom on earth, um, we are restored to complete intimacy. Some of us will have that restoration before Jesus comes back when we meet him face to face when we leave this earth. Let's start with a definition. So, oh, so that brings us to today. My topic is the church. Just a little thing, right? The church. So we'll start with the definition from the Greek. In the New Testament, it is ekklesia, and that should sound kind of familiar, ecclesiastical and that kind of thing. Uh, We get from that 
And it means um, the called out or the gathering, a gathering. So in the New Testament, it described a gathering of the redeemed, the community of the redeemed, wherever they gathered um, to worship God. Um, both individual churches, like the church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth, but it also referred to the whole global church, the global community of believers, right? So we are now both individually and collectively the temple of the Holy Spirit and the church. So on Wednesday night, I have a women's life group um, here, and I asked them to pray for me because I was going to be teaching, and so they said, oh, Janet, we got this. This is the description of the church you should give. I learned this as a child. Maybe some of you did too. You can join with me. You go like this. This is the church. Help me out. This is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Mic drop. That's it. Actually, describing the church is kind of like asking someone to stand on four different people to stand on the four different sides of my house and describe my house, or like the proverbial blind man describing the elephant, right? Depending on your perspective, the description's going to be a little bit different. So today, we're going to take four different perspectives and describe the church, and these um, are perspectives from Scripture. It's by all means, it's not comprehensive. It's not everything that could be said about the church. Um, but we're going to go through these four metaphors from Scripture. So if you find something that impacts you or something you want to remember, you might jot it down because we are going to have a little time of application at the end. That thing's scary. It's okay. Uh, so the first metaphor is the building, right? The church as a building. But it is not this physical building, right? We talk about all that time that the church meets in this building, but this building is not the church, right? What we want to remember first is that Jesus is the master builder. He builds the church. Um, he's talking to his, uh, there's a time when he's talking to his disciples and he's asking them, you know, who do people say that I am? And they say, oh, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, maybe one of the prophets, you know, they say all this stuff. And he says, well, but who do you say that I am? It's really an important question for us. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, who he'd given the name Peter, little stone, right? Little stone says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he says, you know, blessed are you because you didn't get this from just knowledge and from men. You got this revelation from the spirit of God. And that on that big rock, he changes the word, on the big rock of that confession, on the big rock of the truth that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? The realm of death is conquered, and I will build my church. So Jesus is the master builder. In Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, we read, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. 
So we see that the church is built on that strong foundation of, of Scripture. This is what they knew, the promises, all of the words that had been given about Jesus, um, about the Messiah coming, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, God's pattern for worship. And then we see Jesus as the cornerstone. You know, if you're going to build a foundation and you're going to put two walls together, that cornerstone is, is really important. It has to be completely level and completely square, right? Otherwise, your uh, house is going to be all wonky, right? So Jesus is the cornerstone. In the message, Peter says it this way, welcome to the living stone. He's talking about Jesus, the source of life. The workman took one look at it and threw it out. God set it in the place of honor. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life, in which you'll serve as holy priests offering Christ-approved lives up to God. The scriptures provide precedent. So now he's going he's to prove his point by quoting Old Testament to the, the reader. So look. I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. That's from Isaiah 28, 16. And then he says, to you who trust him, he's a stone to be proud of. But to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workman threw out is now the chief foundation stone. For the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over, a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey just as predicted. That's Psalm 118. You know, there's always been a place where men reject Jesus. But we are living stones, right, being built together into a living hope and a new temple. I love one of the commentaries I read said it this way. said, we are quarried, right? We're taken out and we're quarried from the pit of darkness and sin as uncut stones and then lovingly shaped and placed by God into the new building through our confession as Savior, as Jesus as Savior, being rightly fit to one another, which means rubbing off the rough edges a bit, smoothing us out, and polishing us up so that we can actually reflect light. So uh, I have a picture here of the Western Wall in Jerusalem. Uh, this is uh, the Western Wall of the Temple Mount, and it is still an active place of worship. Uh, you can see all those stones, and you can see how massive they are. The, the older ones are on the bottom, and they've been built up. But there's also excavations that go down underneath to the left. You, they've excavated down and down and down and down. And my husband and I were there in 1995. We got to go down into these excavations where they actually take you to the level of the Herod's Temple Foundation, where Jesus would have walked every day and the disciples would have walked there every day. And it's amazing. You see these massive stones. And the stones in Herod's time had a unique kind of a bevel around them. And one of them weighs 600 tons. They didn't have machinery. They didn't have technology. The next picture I want you to see is how these stones fit together. The picture of how they are fit together. There's no mortar. There's no mud. There's no cement. They are fit perfectly together. And they did this all just by loading these things on, to, you know, logs pulled by oxen and then placing them in place and rubbing them together, right? Um, so that's a great picture. It'd be good if we could look like that and be fit together like that, right? There is worship that goes on in this temple. 
And in this house and in this building, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, this is the pattern, though, for worship in this temple, that we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. That now, um, as the new priesthood, our worship is to offer our lives, our wills, our agendas to his care and to his control, right? So the problem with living sacrifices is, you've heard this joke, that they kind of like to crawl off the altar. <laughs> living sacrifices want to stay alive, right? So they kind of crawl off the lot. And living stones, I have to say, living stones can maybe be a little hard-headed, right? Or maybe even a little hard-hearted. I know when I came to the church, that was me. I had built up a lot of stone and walls even around my own heart as a response to rejection or pain or disappointment, my feelings of inadequacy. And um, so I had that hard heart. I, I, I was afraid to give my life to Christ. I was afraid to give over control to God because I didn't know him well enough to trust him. So the fact that I'm standing here before you is just a testament to the love of God and his church because it took a while for those rough edges. And I mean, my husband would probably tell you, I still have some rough edges. We're still rubbing. We've been married almost 55 years and we're still rubbing, right? Yeah, and that's a miracle. Um, Ephesians 4 says there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, over all and through all, in all. Uh, that is a lot of oneness, right? Well, the early church had what they called koinonia, another Greek word. We translate it in the church. It's kind of a churchy word, fellowship, right? But it is that community, that friendship, that, uh, that agreement and that unity that they had and that alignment that they had with and the participation in shared values. They shared these values. They lived these values together. And they were the values that we share today. Worship, prayer, serving, generosity, and celebration, right? They lived out these values together. This is in the body of Christ. This is the next metaphor. This is how we see the body of Christ. And the head of the body is Christ. Ephesians 4, 11, 16 says that the roles and the gifts, the, the offices in the church of pastors and teachers and that kind of thing are all given to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity and become mature and attain the whole measure of the fullness of cross. Christ. It's a process, right? There's a process. But if we're in the middle of this, and this church could be in the middle of this, then they would not be easily swayed or deceived for every new teaching that came along, whether it was in the church or in the culture outside of the church. They wouldn't be easily taken off God's definition of what's good and right and true. They would be able to speak the truth in love, and we know that we desperately need that. We need truth and we need love both. They would grow up into Christ, which means into the head. They would have a mature faith. They would be joined together in Christ. That means handling conflict. You know that rubbing that I'm talking about? That, that has another word. It's called conflict, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, but if we're in the body of Christ, we can actually lubricate that with forgiveness and grace and understanding and conversation and acceptance, right? 
so we can handle conflict well. And the body builds itself up in love with each doing their part. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul goes into a big description of the church as the body. And he talks about how, you know, we can't all be eyes and we can't all be hands. If we were all hands, how would the body see? If we were all, um, you know, eyes, how would the body move? Each part has its, is intricate and necessary and has its part to play. If one part is cut off, if one part is disconnected, sick, or damaged, it affects the whole body, right? We know that physically for our own physical bodies, but he's talking about the body of Christ now. Um, The founder of our Vine Arts Ministry, uh, his name is Jesse Nilo, and Jesse served in that capacity here for several years, and she... um, uh, prepared these images that uh, I asked for her permission to use again because I think they're so good. This first one has um, the picture of all the body parts, right? And I don't know whether you can see, but the each inside all of those little intricate things are they're little images of people. They look like little peace signs, but they're little images of people, and they all have some unique characteristic. They are all completely different. But here you see this one body with all these beautiful parts, but they're not working together. It's working independently. And sometimes, you know, we look, we, um, we're not quite ready for, yeah, we'll go back to these parts. Sometimes we, um, we don't like our gift, right? Um, I wish I could, you know, I mean, somebody ought to tell Brent to get excited, right? Um, <laughs> I wish that was my gift in worship. It's not. Um, but I'm so grateful for those who, that is their gift. And I'm so grateful for those who are using their gift. And sometimes people go, well, I don't, I don't have a gift. And I, 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 I'm just like the big toe. I'm the big toe of the body, right? Did you know that you can't stand well without your big toe? You can't balance without, in fact, and your baby toe and all your toes, Right? You can't stand, the body can't stand and be balanced without those toes. So we can acknowledge our strengths. We can look at you know, places where our growth areas are that need nutrition or exercise so that we can actually participate with our gifts. And you know what? This is the same whether the church is meeting in coffee shops, in house churches, in the park, or here where we gather on a Sunday morning and we have corporate worship together here. It's all the same. The body has these unique, all of us have unique gifts and talents that that need to be used and expressed. Um, We need it here as much as we need it when we're out in the, you know, when we're outside of this building, right? So now we're going to look at the, at Jesse's next picture, which is of the runner. And here we see all of these individual parts completely engaged. The lungs are breathing in and out. The heart is pumping. The arms and legs are pumping. You see the eyes are focused ahead. You have this feeling and this sense of energized forward motion and purpose. And I'll bet that body's in discomfort, right? You're running hard. If you're running a race, sometimes the race is hard, right? And there's discomfort. But the, the, the prize at the end is sweet, and we don't have to run the race alone. That body is full of all those little parts working together to run the race. And I'm so grateful for all the parts that are expressed here in this place of the church, those who give out of the pantry and the free medical clinic, the media, the worship, the children's ministry, the youth, the, the staff that make this place 
clean and welcome for you, warm in the winter and cool in the, in the summer, right? There's so many who give so much to um, making coffee. I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have coffee, right? So all of those little parts, you each have a part to play. It's very important. And you see on that, on that image, those toes are working, right? Those toes are working. They're key to success. So we want the body to be in alignment with the Word of God, the living Word of God, Jesus, the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, submitted to the will of the Father, and committed to love and bear with one another. That's what keeps the church healthy and effective and growing and, like I said, a witness moving. So the third one is the beacon. I call this the beacon, uh, a herald of hope. So the church is the place where the power and the presence and the glory of God dwells. Do you know that? We are kingdom people, right? We talk about the fact that the kingdom of God, we see the kingdom of God breaking in. We pray for that. We expect it. We see it. And we celebrate it as the kingdom of God now breaks in right now to heal, to restore, to save. But we're also aware that the kingdom is still not yet fully established on this earth and won't be until Jesus comes back to get his bride, right? But we still are carriers of God's presence. And in that way, the church is the city on a hill. I love that picture of the city on a hill because it's light in the midst of darkness. And if I'm a weary traveler out in the darkness and I see that light out ahead, it should signal for me safety, shelter, right? It should be inviting. It should be inviting as well as illuminating. The light that we share should be, I kind of like to think of it as like gathering around a fire pit, you know? You come out of the dark and you're camping and you get around that fire pit and there's, there's camaraderie, there's acceptance, there's warmth. Maybe there's marshmallows. But um, it's that warmth of a fireplace. It's not that searchlight that makes people go like this, right? That exposes all their vulnerabilities, right? The light that we shed should be inviting as well as illuminating. In Acts 1.8, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, you know, you are going to be my witnesses, which is kind of like a beacon, a carrier of a message, my witnesses to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the world, right? So Judea, the, your community, the people around you, your families, the people who uh, believe like you do, live like you do, understand things the way you do. Then you get to Samaria, and these are the people who don't look like you, and the people who don't live like you, they probably don't vote like you. They're outside, right? They're further out. This is another community, but you're to be my messengers, and then clear out to the ends of the world. And I think to myself, that early church, how in the world, they must have been thinking, how in the world are we supposed to do that, right? They didn't have the internet. They didn't have Google. They didn't have social media to spread the word. They didn't have TikTok and, I don't know, Instagram, and there's probably, I'm dating myself because there's probably five more that are way more current. Um, but they didn't have that, right? So how did they share the message? They, they did it by telling the stories, They told the stories of how their faith in Jesus was changing their lives for the better, right? 
They shared their lives. They shared the, the testimonies. They shared the stories. They studied the word. They studied to see how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. They studied the word together, and they shared that together. And then they celebrated. They celebrated because people were getting healed. People were getting saved. They celebrated, and they, um, they were open to sharing life with others. You know, when they, their church, uh, there were people who were the, the people who were steeped in the religious side of things. They were coming to the church. There were the Gentiles who were like completely believed and lived differently. You know that there was some rubbing of rough edges in there, right? As they were trying to figure out, you, you think what? You believe what? Um, and then there were the prostitutes and the lepers and the blind, right? Everyone was welcome in their community. Everyone was welcome to hear about Jesus. And they shared life together. And they pressed into that. They pressed into what God was doing, what the kingdom of God looked like. Because that's what Jesus said, the kingdom of God. He was always inviting people into the kingdom of God. But you know what? When you press in to the kingdom of God, there's always going to be opposition. And they were aware of the opposition. Remember, Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have trouble. But don't be afraid, because I've overcome this world, right? They knew that there was going to be suffering involved. In fact, you know, there was suffering was common in their day. They didn't have vaccines. They didn't have St. Al's. They didn't have, you know, women and babies died in childbirth all the time. They knew about suffering. They were, part, they were living in a community that had corrupt political um, factions that were warring, right? They knew about oppression and they knew about opposition, but they also knew how to handle it. And they handled it with prayer and with continued obedience to what God had called them to. As a beacon of truth, the church gets to display God's wisdom to the authorities, right? In Ephesians 3, 10 to 13, his, which is God, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities where? In the heavenly realms. That's, that's huge. I mean, that's huge. The church gets to talk to the enemy and say, uh-uh. Right? We get to be the ones who display God's wisdom to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of those bold is my emphasis. In Ephesians 6.12, it shows that the church was able to fight the right battles at the right time and against the right enemy. Right? We do not battle flesh and blood. People are not our enemies. We don't battle with people. We battle with the rulers of darkness, the powers and the principalities in the heavenly realms. We battle against the spirit, the evil, the spirit that is beyond, that is underneath and girding and driving the corruption in our world today, the lust for power, the lust for control, the lust for pleasure, right? The lust um, for um, money, all of that. There is a spirit behind that, and that's where we battle with heavenly weapons, with spiritual weapons. Um, as salt and light, we don't 
need to compromise the truth of God, but we do need to share it with compassion, right? People then, and I think people now, are still hungry and searching for spiritual truth and hope. And we have that, right? But we have to, honestly, today we have to ask ourselves, are they hearing that from us? Do they feel just like the church then? Do they feel like they would be welcome when they come in with their doubts and their, their sin and their dysfunction and their all of that? You know, I serve in a, a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery, and often people will say to me, oh, the church should be like this, where I can just come in and admit I'm a mess, right? And, and be okay with that. It's okay to not be okay. I can admit my struggles. We call it hurts, habits, and hang-ups. That kind of just covers everything, right? And people can come in and just be authentic. We have people who come in who don't, they don't even know if God is relevant. And yet they're still, they're, they're accepted and they're welcome with their questions and their doubts and their unbelief. And it should be that same way here. We want that. How are people going to get saved if they can't come in and hear the word, right? How are people going to know about the love of God if we don't show it and make them welcome when they come, right? We want to be able to invite our friends, invite our unsaved friends, people who say, you're a Christian? Have you had people say that? My son lives in Seattle. And he said, and he said somebody in business actually said, you're a, you're a Christian? I've, I've never known a Christian like you. Like, I like you. <laughs> you know? We want that. We want people to come in these doors or into the coffee shop or into our homes or into wherever the church is meeting. We want people to be welcome, right? We want the church. I think the, and I think the world still wants the church to be open and generous and merciful, but they also want us to be authentic, right? They want us to be kind and to walk the talk that we talk, right? You know the Bible, all those letters about, you know, this is hurting you. This is maybe something that this is called sin. This is outside God's design for what's good and beautiful and wise. All of those letters are written to the churches. They're written to believers. The Bible is our standard for living. We're the ones who need to live by that standard, but we can't expect people who don't know Jesus, who don't, have, don't know God, who don't, know, um, don't have the Holy Spirit and don't have a relationship with God, we cannot demand that they live by those standards. There are standards to live, and we need to live them. Romans 2.4 says, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. It's God's kindness that I met when I came into the church with my stony heart. It's, it's God's kindness that let me take forever to finally trust him. It's a journey, right? It's God's kindness that leads us to want to even want to know who he is and to trust him with our lives. It's his kindness. And we need to treat others the way God treats us. So in Romans 12, 21, the last one is do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. And I, really, I think, you know, lots of us are excited about revival, and we think it's coming, and I think the revival is in the church as we repent and we go, God, we love you, and we want to, to celebrate that, and we want to be that kind of place 
for people to come and meet your, your love with your love. The last one, the last metaphor is the bride. We see that Jesus is the lover of our souls. And um, remember, we started with God's desire for intimate relationship with us. And there, in human relationships, there isn't one that's more intimate than that of husband and wife. And in Ephesians 5, uh, 25 to 28, Paul makes this comparison. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. In the message, he says it this way, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant and holiness. Jesus is the bridegroom, and we are the bride. You may never have been a bride, or you might not ever be a bride, but if you are in Christ Jesus, you are the bride. And he is bound to us, not in the way that marriage is bound on this earth by a contract, which is easily broken, right? He is bound to us in covenant relationship. And in the, in the, that was the covenant relationship in the Bible was, was sealed with often with the shedding of blood to say, this is permanent, right? And Jesus shed his blood for that covenant relationship. It is not a contract. He has bound himself to us. John, the Gospel of John tells us that we love because he first loved us. When the bride sees herself the way the groom sees her, she feels beautiful. She feels desirable. She feels loved. When we, as the bride of Christ, see us, see the church the way Jesus sees us, we can respond with love and commitment. And we can be vulnerable, and we can be open and honest because we are completely loved. Jesus is coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle, it says. And the, here's the good news. I got lots of spots and wrinkles, but here's the good news. Jesus chose the bride knowing all of her spots and wrinkles. He knows that the church is imperfect. The church has always been imperfect because guess what? It's full of people like me. In process, right? In process. He knows that and he still chose us. He still chooses us knowing all of our shortcomings and our weaknesses and our failures and our unbelief and our doubts. He's, he's okay. He still chooses us. There's also a two-way street here. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says that both the, the, the bride is cleansed by Jesus, but then the bride has a responsibility to cleanse herself. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of our reverence for God. So the worship band is going to come back. I'm going to invite the worship band. They're going to come up. And we're just going to take uh, a little bit of time. I'm, I'm, we're just going to take some time and reflect on um, what we've heard this morning. Maybe God has tapped you on the shoulder with one of these metaphors. Maybe there's something that um, he's saying to you. We're just going to take a minute, and if everyone would just, um, we're just going to close our eyes, and we're just going to have a place of privacy, just a private place to listen 
to the Holy Spirit. What would you say to me today, Lord? What would you say to me? The most important thing is, do you know Jesus? Have you ever accepted his free invitation to be a part of the family? Have you ever heard that you are loved and that you are precious and that you are priceless and that he wants intimate relationship with you? If there's anyone here who's never been able to say, yes, I want that, I want this Jesus, would you just look up and raise your hand? And It's the most important invitation to accept. It all starts with us accepting Jesus. Thank you. We're going to pray for you. Thank you, Lord, for those who are accepting your invitation, your free invitation, God. Saying, God, I've done it my own way for a long time and it's not working and I'm ready to surrender. Do it your way. Be part of your family. Maybe in the metaphor of the building, you recognize that you might have built on a wrong foundation, not the foundation of love and acceptance. Maybe you recognize that you need to apply some grace or forgiveness to your rough edges or to someone else's. Maybe in the metaphor of the body, you recognize that you've been disconnected. So many of us have been disconnected by the pandemic. Is it time for you to reconnect with the body of Christ? Have you allowed passions or interests or some other distraction to become the priority instead of using your gifts and talents to serve the body? It's time to return to your first love. Jesus says, return to me. Maybe God is highlighting a malnourished or a diseased body part, an addiction, pain, fear, emotional struggle. Maybe it's just fatigue and exhaustion. You can bring that to Jesus today. Maybe as the beacon, do you need boldness to speak the truth of God's wisdom and goodness in your place of influence? Do you need a little more compassion when you speak it? How is your witness? How do you feel about those who are in opposition? And finally, as the bride, do you know that Jesus calls you his beloved? Can you see yourself as chosen and loved and beautiful? Are there some areas that maybe need his cleansing? Remember, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And maybe, as we talked about last week, and we had a little, we had some ministry about hurt. Maybe you've been hurt in the church, by the church, which means you've been hurt by people. That's a place for God to heal. I want to say to you, I'm sorry that a place that should be safe and healing has been a place of hurt. But it's not God's hurt. 
and it's not ours here. There are also some words from our prayer team, some words for prayer that have been given as they prayed before and over this service. And their words, one of them says, it's not a losing battle. Another one of these words is, you have a broken heart, but you didn't fail. Look in a different mirror. It's one of the words. Maybe someone has a broken kneecap and the Lord wants to heal that today. Or colon cancer. These are words for healing. There's also been a word that someone's heart has been like a broken vessel, just shattered in pieces. But as this person prayed, they saw God's hand reach and pick up that broken vessel and instantaneously heal it. God wants to heal your heart's woundedness. And when we open our hearts to God, it's sacred ground. Our hearts are sacred ground to Him. And He's calling us So don't be afraid to respond to whatever he's telling you. I'd like you to stand with me because I have a little bit more to say. And it's about the bride and the groom. I don't know about you, but brides and grooms usually show up at places called weddings, right? And weddings are happy times. Weddings are times full of hope for the future and joy for the day. And at the end of the book, we see what's waiting for us. In Revelation 19, 6, 8, this is what John heard in this revelation. He says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb, that's Jesus. The wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has, that's us, made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And a couple of chapters later, when they're asking Jesus to come back, and they're saying, Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. The Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. This is the promise. Jesus is coming back for his bride. He is coming back. Heaven is assured for us, and that's reason to celebrate, right? This is what we mean when we say, we get to live happily ever after. This bride and groom are going to live happily ever after. So right now, we're going to cement what God's done for us. We're going to celebrate the freedom that we found. We're going to celebrate even if it's conviction that you felt. That is, that is something to celebrate because the Holy Spirit is talking to you. There's conversation between you and your Creator. That's something to celebrate. 
Freedom is on the way. So we're going to celebrate. The worship band's going to lead us in a song of celebration. So church, I hope you will join in. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.